0: you need to trust someone at some point. If you're not technical, you need to trust someone at some point, whether it's the recruiter who brings you a, a CTO, whether it's that CTO and you find him on LinkedIn through a posting, whether it's me as someone who guarantees you that they're gonna bring in the best talent available, you have to trust someone at some point. Letting go of the control a bit and communicating properly and effectively what you want is probably the advice that I will share with everyone that I would ever hop on a board with. It's hard to find these people. The way you find them is through persistent searches. And I'm not just sit talking about LinkedIn or posting jobs on various job boards or going through GitHub.
1: Hello, I'm Sami Aryan, a tech philosopher and the founder of Impeak. Delving into the intricacies of technology and its impact on our lives and businesses. Today, I'm thrilled to have Horia Alten with us. He's the co founder of Prime Hire, a pioneering staff augmentation firm that's redefining how companies connect with top tier engineering talent. Now, hold off on any preconceptions of a dry discussion on hiring. We are about to unpack a critical challenge faced by leaders across industries that is securing elite software engineers. Horia sheds light on a stark reality. The pool of seasoned engineers is not just limited, it's fiercely contested, predominantly by tech giants. Enter PrimeHire, one of our top service partners at Impeak they are tackling this very dilemma head on. Their innovative approach not only bridges the gap, but also offers a unique proposition, the opportunity to integrate these talents into your teams seamlessly. Today's conversation is full of invaluable insights and actionable strategies that you simply cannot afford to miss. So without further ado, let's dive right in. All right, Horia. Well, thank you so much for being here. So you've recently come on board on InPeak as one of our service partners in the engineering department. So tell me a little bit about your background. Explain you know, what got you into, into this field. And then um, I'll explain a little bit more about some of the challenges that I've been facing as a sole founder, not having a technical background.
0: Sure, sure. Uh, thanks for having me today. Um, it's a pretty fun story, actually. Uh, it all started about Eight years ago, when I first met my co-founder, George, um, we met at the gym, a very casual place to meet a business partner. Uh, He was already working in this um, IT staff augmentation realm for about 10 years prior to us meeting. So he has about two decades of experience. Uh, We met, we started discussing, he was telling me what he was working on, what kind of challenges he was facing, um i had recently graduated from a business university in the uk so obviously i was intrigued by the nature of uh, doing business in the us business is in the us um and then we we kind of started working together and ever since i've probably had the benefit and the pleasure of meeting with well over i'd say 150 founders um ctos ceos vps of engineering etc and probably well over three to 4,000 senior software engineers. Um, I think it's been a blessing. I kind of feel like everything has just skyrocketed past me. These past eight years have been a bliss. <laughs> uh, sometimes it feels unreal having um, achieved so much in such a short period of time. But yeah, to answer your question, uh, I think it's a, it's it's a fun coincidence, but I no longer believe in coincidences. I think everything is meant to be at some point.
1: 100%. No, I agree. There's no such thing as coincidence. Um, you put yourself in a position where you meet the right people and the right things come together. And of course, it's all, um, you know, comes together with hard work. So um, one of the ways that I look at doing this podcast or the main way is that usually I, I have these conversations where I have a genuine problem or I have a genuine question, like a burning desire to find out something or, you know, a a problem that I'm dealing with. And then, you know, I bring an expert who helps me figure that out. One of those problems that um, I have had um, since the beginning of starting this uh, enterprise building in Peak has been that I'm not the technical founder and I don't have a co-founder. And I know that a lot of uh, VCs, you know, investors in general don't necessarily like that. Um, I know, for example, something like White Combinator doesn't even accept you if you're not a technical founder or you don't have a technical co-founder. But there are a lot of people who find themselves in that position and they are looking for uh, engineering teams. You know, they, they need to build a team. So in, in our case, we were kind of lucky because my CTO, um, is, uh, you know, and she has um, a, a minority uh, share in the company. I brought her on and, and she helped me put together a team. So she built me a pod of engineers in India and we've been working with them since then. So um, it, it, there are a lot of times where obviously it's great to work with um, offshore, uh, offshore engineers the way that we have done, but it also comes with its own challenges. So in some ways it's like, I don't know, like especially when you work with a, an agency, you don't know for sure if the team that the offshore agency builds for you, whether they are 100% working on your project whether, or whether they're working on other things at the same time. And you don't have really visibility on working with them in a way that you would do with like one-to-one directly with a team. So tell me how what you do is different uh, from working with an agency and how, how do you solve this problem? And do you come across these cases similar to me quite a lot where there's like a, found, a founder that's not technical and they're trying to put together a team?
0: Yes, that, that that is a very good question. And it's a very, uh very frequently encountered use case. But let me quickly explain a bit what the main ways of going about hiring are usually. um, You just described, something that's traditionally known as a a software development shop. But there's a team either in India or in Ukraine now, obviously in Poland, in the US as well, um, Latin America, there's all these different locations with really good talent. um, And they usually end up taking on multiple clients and they build out the piece of software for their clients. Now, what that means is that you, as a non-technical founder, usually interact with just one person from that specific dev shop, who's usually a project manager. Um, you try to send him as much information as possible about what you want to achieve. He tries to somehow translate that to the development team, but you never actually meet with the development team. You can't express your feedback directly, which usually leads to delays or wrong, um, wrong uh, deliverables being brought to the table. Now, that's one way of going about it. The, the second way of going about it is the traditional hiring method where you either have an in-house recruiter or you go to a third party recruitment service. And you ask them, hey, I need to find one CTO level engineer who can become part of my, my my team. And then I'm looking to add more to that as it, as it, as the need comes because the CTO can't deal with everything by himself. Now, what the recruitment company does is they find the people, they put them in contact with you. You pay them a commission, and that's it. They are out of the picture. It's your responsibility to make sure everything works. A lot of responsibility for someone who's not technical. There's a lot of trust that has to be built within that. And then the third aspect of of working with the development team, and this is primarily our business model. However, I can go into that a bit later. um, It's the staff augmentation uh, method. And what that means is a very fancy word for saying that you're basically renting the talent so you don't primarily interact with just one person you interact with the entire team and what that means is we put together a team for you that works specifically for you it's your dedicated team as if they were in office nine to five in manhattan for example it's just the benefit is that they are located all around the globe so you get the chance to work with the best of the best rather than just limiting yourself to a geographical location where There's a set limited number of engineers. Um, And secondly, you have the chance to coordinate them as you will. So you get a project manager, you get a lead engineer, you get multiple senior engineers, you get a designer, you get a product manager, and then all these people kind of work together to achieve your goal. The benefit of doing that is that you have full visibility. You know exactly what's happening every single day if you want them to have deliverables to you every friday that's something that you can very you know frankly tell them hey guys i'm not you know extremely technical however i'd like to see progress being made so the only way i see progress is not necessarily by looking at lines of code i can't understand them i need to see something happening on the product side of things um so that's that's the way it usually works now having had this conversation at least 50 times last year, at least 50 times. I can say that most non-technical founders usually go for a development team in India because it's the cheapest way to go. And they think, oh, it's low risk because sure, I'm spending, let's say 10% of what I would pay in the US and I'm getting something in return. Now the question is, are you actually getting something in return or is it just delaying the inevitable where you have to make a decision I need to change something, otherwise I'm not getting my product to market. Uh, If you have a GTM strategy in place, you kind of have to follow that as well. And you can't always let delays on the development side alter things on the business side. What I usually explain to people is that you need to trust someone at some point. If you're not technical, you need to trust someone at some point, whether it's the recruiter who brings you a, a CTO, whether it's that CTO and you find him on LinkedIn through a posting, Whether it's me, as someone who guarantees you that they're going to bring in the best talent available, you have to trust someone at some point. Now, after you've established who you want (laughs) to trust, you start the relationship. If you were to start a relationship through a staff augmentation method, that would look like, probably, in your case, us finding you a very senior person, a lead person, whom you would be able to firstly introduce to your team in India, They would slowly start to understand what they've built, how they've built it, and come back to you and say, Look, I think they've done a good job. We've got something good here. We don't necessarily have to change much. Or they could come back and say, Hey, unfortunately, this doesn't really seem like what you initially wanted. Let me explain to you why. And they get back to you with a list of reasons. At that point, there's two decisions to be made A, you try and work it out with them and explain to them, Hey, this is not, you know, we're not getting what we want. Or B, You kind of scratch the India team at that point and you let the staff augmentation company work with your lead engineer to find uh, multiple senior engineers to kind of augment that team, grow the team. You don't have to hire five, 10 engineers. You only need two or three good people and then you kind of have a really solid team in place already. Once you've built that very small team, you're looking at the MVP, the go-to-market product that usually takes two to three months. If it takes longer than that, Something's wrong, usually from the business aspect. You are asking too much. You don't need that much. You, you don't want to have a full product ready. You need to have something to go to market and start testing the waters. Now, once that's happened, you've gone to market, the feedback is good, you've raised a bit more money. That's when you can actually sit down and think longer term. You're thinking six to 12 months, one to three years, and then everything that's over that. And you think, okay, I want to build a team. I'll need to have multiple engineering leads i need to have multiple seniors i need to have medium level engineers maybe even juniors as well and that's when you kind of start really testing the waters when it comes to how do you want to grow that team uh, staff augmentation in my opinion is a fantastic method to get started with building a team or b to grow an existing team um, by the way enterprise devil companies do this all the time so it's not probably it's probably not even primarily startups it's primarily enterprise companies who already have hundreds of engineers and they know they need more but they need them for a specific period of time whether it's six months 12 months 18 months and then it's easier to get these contractors in the benefit of having a team built initially through these types of contractors is that you can opt to convert them to full-time employees as well so you like the team and you say, look, company X, prime hire, <laughs> thank you very much. You've been fantastic. You've built the team. How can I get this team over to my payroll now and give them all the benefits, give them equity in the company, give them PTO, et cetera. And that's where we sit down and we find you know, a very simple buyout clause, basically. It's a release clause from the contract. It's nothing, it's nothing compared to what uh, traditional recruitment companies usually charge. It's a lot less than that. And the reason why is because the focus of my business is to make sure that you find the right people and the right people find you. And it's a good fit. Uh, I'm not supposed to be sitting in the way of a love story. So if both parties really enjoy working together, they should. And we've done we've done this multiple times. Um, To give you an example, one of our previous clients uh, was working. Well, he started his, his company slightly technical, though, not not from scratch but um he had he had a bit of a bit of a playing field in front of him uh he built a team and then when this huge company came in and put a bid he said look we're being bought out you know the come th- th- this huge giant wants to buy us i want to convert all the resources i have to my internal payrolls so that they can benefit as well from the company being uh being purchased they can receive their bonus like big fat check And they can still stay on as employees that big company if they want to for a much bigger salary Uh, so that's how it would look like from various uh perspectives and i'm sure you probably already have a few questions by now
1: oh yeah absolutely this is super interesting okay so you you broke it down really well for me you said basically just to recap there are three models mainly um first model is dev shop where you um basically give everything. It's like an agency model. You give everything uh, to them and they build it, but you have no visibility of who's working on it. The second model is a recruitment where you go and officially uh, hire engineers, normally local engineers in, if you're in the U.S. from U.S. and with the typical kind of like model of how you would need to compensate them and and, uh, provide all sorts of, you know, benefits, et cetera and the third model is staff augmentation which is your one so in my experience you know there's this perception that the dev shop model is the cheapest but it's not really that much cheaper and and when you think about um it can be a bit more slow um uh, sometimes it can be quite a bit slow Like ultimately there's no free lunch right like whatever however you look at it there's like um, positives and negatives to each uh, model. Um, maybe the dev shop model is okay when you are first starting out but now we are getting to a point that I really want to build our own team and uh, and, and I'm starting to think about what what is the correct model? would it be like the maybe the next step from the dev shop would be the staff augmentation and then and then thinking about okay um, now we would want to recruit the people uh, directly. So so would you say that that's Uh, like that. that's kind of like a good middle ground between the two. And then can you talk a little bit about, you know, what are some of the uh, challenges that people uh, usually face in each of these models and what's what's some of the cons and pros?
0: Yeah, sure, of course. Uh, So to answer your first question, yes, that's probably the best way to go about it. So you hire a dev team uh, in India, you ask them to build out a product for you, they come back, it's working, it's all good, you have something. Then you're looking at going to a staff Aug agency and saying, hey, can I get one engineer to have a look at this product? Once that that piece is done, you probably think, okay, I might want to build out my own team. I'll use the staff Aug agency. Then you can, most likely, this is what usually what people do. They recruit through the staff Aug agency. So they say, look, I enjoy these guys. Maybe not all of them. Maybe four out of six engineers that you provided. I really like them. I want to keep them you convert them to full-time employees. And then you either use the staff agency to recruit more. So you use them as a recruitment agency or you go to a local headhunter. And that's how you probably get the job done in, let's say, the best way possible. Without, you know, first I'll go to the recruiter. I'll pay a lump sum, pretty, usually about 40, 50K, just to find one person. Now one person comes in. They didn't usually have the right expectation set. It's slightly a fiasco. And then you go back to the, Indian team which is usually like hey you know I'm back now they're gonna charge you more just because you left initially so it's a bit of an up and down but um, if if we really look at challenges that people face I'd say the first one and probably the biggest one is communication people even though we speak the same language um, it's usually not the same um, understanding of of words or phrases. <laughs> uh, to give you an example, I had a client once who told me he seemed to not be in a position where his Indian team was understanding what he wants. So he asked him, hey, can you, he asked the designer, can you design um, a glass of water for me, please? And the designer came back with a bowl. And the guy was like, this is not exactly what I, I asked for a glass of water. And he said, yeah, but this one holds water as well. So at that point, it kind of clicked because, yes, you know, he got the idea. It should hold water, but it's not a glass of water. It's a bowl of water. It's two completely separate things. So communication is the most important aspect when hiring, even locally. Even if you get that person to come in office, if you're not able to properly communicate what you expect him to do, laying out expectations, continuously giving feedback, productive feedback, and trying to be understandful as well of his personal challenges. When you work with someone, is not they're not nobody's a machine. Uh, if you're having a bad day, your manager or your employer or your the person who's paying for your contract needs to understand that, and that's part of communication as well. If I message you and ask you, "Hey, can I have a half a day off? My baby's sick. I the nanny's off. Whatever," the the normal reaction should be, "Of course. Is there anything I can do to help you?" From my experience, the usual um, answer to this question is, yeah, sure, uh, whatever. And then the person goes and tries to replace you immediately. They they, they label you as unfit for duty and you get served a, a notice period the next day. So communication, number one, regardless of where you're, you are in the world, um, the benefit of my business is that I get the chance to work with people from all over the globe. So we have both clients and talent from asia australia india europe uk us latin america everywhere and even though there's sometimes a huge time zone difference if you find the right energy and the right synergies there people make it work to give you an example i just had an engineer from china start the project with the company from los angeles the guy speaks perfect english if you were to hear him on a on a on a phone call you wouldn't be able to say he's chinese so there's no uh, language barriers and he's staying up a bit late the client wakes up a bit early because he's an mon- early person anyway so it's a good fit but everyone makes a bit of a sacrifice however if the los angeles company would have would have had to hire someone in los angeles um they would have ordered he looked at someone who wanted to start at 9 and work till five and that's about it you know if if i'm at jogging at 8 45 a.m i don't want to hear you calling me because you're paying me to work nine to five right so that level of freedom is something that i personally love and i know everyone that i work with from both sides of of the of the table clients and engineers as well they love it because it enables them to do the best work of their lives basically you're not tied to a schedule you need to fulfill the deliverables. And the engineers usually go slightly above and beyond when it comes to that. Because they respect the fact that they get given this freedom. They understand it's not something everyone benefits from. Most people are still stuck in office in 2024. Most people have been asked to come back in office after they were working remotely, probably successfully for three years. A lot of these challenges are still active. remote is still not the norm, even though there's so many problems with traffic, with all these things, and people just genuinely lose time. Employers are still not prepared to um, give them this benefit of working from home and trusting them. Because if you ask me, it's all down to trust. If, uh, if, If you had an office, you lost it because of COVID, your team was remote, you bounce back and you ask them to come back, even though they've done a good job. That probably says you don't trust your team to continue doing a good job, or you as a fan that you're pissed off that I know they get the chance to spend an hour more with their kids. I don't know. Maybe it's something petty as that. Maybe it's some. Maybe it's genuine. The fact that you want to see them every single day, but that's a bit micromanagement as well. Which brings me to my probably my final point. One of the challenges is letting go of uh, of the vine, letting go of control sometimes trusting the people to do the work not having to stand over their heads all the time and micromanage every single step because you especially as a non-technical founder you probably wouldn't be able to understand all the steps that especially a back-end person would would be doing uh when we talk about backend, we talk about things that you don't usually see when i pick up my phone and i open the app i see the design i see the user interface i see the front end i don't see what happens in the back end If I click a button, it just opens another page. But in that process behind, it does a million other things through that line of code, which you probably can't see because you're not technical enough. So being able to trust them, letting go of the control a bit, and communicating properly and effectively what you want is probably the advice that I will share with everyone that I would ever hop on a board with. And I know it's hard. I genuinely know it's hard. More so if you've been burned before, if you've had previous engagements with recruiters, with staff out companies, with devtros, with anything in the software world, it's hard for you to trust someone who you just met. It's very hard. But at the end of the day, that's what's gonna make the difference. It's gonna be your gut feeling. Um, my job is to present you with the facts and then to give you a couple of choices. I, you know, I can say, look. If you're ready to trust me, I'm ready to reward that trust by giving you a risk-free trial period. You start, you see what it's like, you meet with the engineers I propose, they start working on the project, and you kind of see what the day-to-day looks like. And if you're not happy, you're not happy, you don't have to pay a thing. And we can just move on. So that's one of the benefits of being able to do such a business, is laying that first bridge from that trust foundation, because that's what it comes to.
1: Yeah, it's super interesting. So tell me, um, where do you find uh, these engineers? Like, the, um, from from like it must be hard. Tell me about that process.
0: So, um, our business is split into acquiring two types of clients. One is the business clients, and two, it's the engineers. They are our clients as well. Um, I usually handle the business side of the of the uh, of the business, and then George handles the the talent side. So he's the one. He's been doing this for 20 years, straight up. So he's been finding senior software engineers all around the globe for 20 years. And his personal network is well over 25,000 engineers at this point. It pains me to say this, but if I were to put a number, out of those 25,000, 1% or less are people that we would genuinely engage or re-engage. It's hard to find these people. The way you find them is through persistent searches, and I'm not just sit talking about LinkedIn or posting jobs on various job boards or going through GitHub, finding accounts that look good and you know engaging with those engineers. There's various ways of going about it, um. But you you meet with them initially, and that's when the vetting process starts. Now, what we do to vet them is, I call it normal. Some people would say it's. Too much. Some people would say, "Oh, there's not enough." So there's always there's always a discussion. We meet with them initially. They have to pass an English competency test. You know, they need to be able to speak, read, write English perfectly to be able to interact with clients globally. Um, and then we have two um, challenges that we lay out for them. One would be an online take at home test, which they can do by themselves whenever. A small parenthesis here. 99% usually cheat. <laughs> they either ask someone. I was going to say,
1: how, how do you know they don't cheat?
0: Well, you, you do because part of the, the, the take at home test is usually they have to somehow allow the system to record what they do. And it's either them moving away and then someone else comes in, they code, or they just Google everything. And it's fine to Google answers, by the way. This one I want to tell the world. you know, It's fine to Google answers. If you're a good engineer and you're using Google and more so now, uh, GitHub Copilot, that AI feature that helps you write code faster, it's fantastic. Use it, write faster, get your job done quicker, and enjoy it. But if you're using it every single step of the way because you don't know the logic behind it, then that's the problem. Uh, and which is why we move on to the second part of the vetting, the technical vetting, which is one or multiple sessions live sessions with one of our in-house experts. And that's where we can actually see the way these people think, the way they react in in a very difficult environment. So a live coding challenge is something that even Google and Facebook level engineers will fail at because it puts you on the spot in front of someone you've never spoken before. They ask you to pull up um to pull up uh, a program and you have to start writing code clean code that works you have to think about multiple things at once and it's difficult but if you're a good interviewer you don't you're not looking for a perfect finish to the test you're not there's no such thing you're looking at seeing how that person thinks through the stages are they doing the right steps are they taking their due diligence are they thinking about writing some tests in there as well to make sure nothing fails at the end um and then, obviously, there's the, there's the more, let's call it tangible part where we check their IDs. We make sure that they're not on any criminal watch list, anti-money laundering, or these kinds of things. Um, and that consists of a background check as well. So we believe we do a pretty thorough check. Luckily, most of the engineers that we always place on projects are engineers whom we've already worked with at some point in the past. So we give them... Uh, the the prime, the prime hire guarantee benefit, you know, as engineers that we've worked with, we know them, some of them even personally, we've had the chance to meet in person. We have already received client feedback about their work. So it's a lot easier for me to say, hey, uh, hire John. <laughs> I've known John for six years and you know what? I'll let you work with John for three months. You don't have to pay anything because I know for a fact you'll be happy and you will want to keep on John for another three years, not just three months. um. So that's kind of how, how things usually work from a vetting perspective. Now, there's all these different companies who do different kinds of tests, different kinds of challenges. Personally, I don't think it's necessarily not feasible, but it's not. it doesn't reflect the reality. So you'll have an amazing engineer fail a test and not be hired. And you'll have an average engineer get lucky, nail the test, get hired. And then you have to fire him after two months because you're not happy with his performance. And you're back at square one. However, you've already lost two months. So there's an important aspect here.
1: Super uh, interesting. So what is the typical duration of engagement uh, once a a client hires an engineer,
0: would you say? It's a good question and I get this quite often, but I'm very honest in saying we've had clients work with us for three months and we've had clients work with us for three years and more. So uh, it's probably somewhere around 12 to 14 months and at that point, the client comes and says, look, you know, I really enjoy working with this engineer. I want to convert him to an employee. And the relationship doesn't stop. It just changes the, the paperwork, basically. He's no longer a contractor. He's an employee. We rarely have engagements that stop because of um, performance issues. Were that to happen, we guarantee a replacement, obviously. Um, however, the due diligence system that we have in place whilst on the project ensures that we rarely end up in the city. And when I say rarely, it's less than 1% because we check in with all parties involved um, more than twice a month. We check in with the developers, we check in with the client. With uh, if, if it's a bigger client and they have uh, engineering managers or senior uh, engineers in the team who kind of oversee the work, we go and speak with them as well. Hey, what, do, what feedback do you have about these engineers? Can you please share with me the latest results? They pull up. The, uh, the, the project management tool and they kind of look at their velocity, the speed at which they work at, the quality of their work. So it's easy for us to try and spot red flags early on, even before that, let's call them orange. Um, and if there were to be a problem, we speak with the engineer and we try to understand what exactly happened. And it's usually down to communication again. <laughs> it's usually down to, hey, when I was given this task, I wasn't told that I have to do it this way. One of those things. It's always important to communicate properly. Um, we recently had a, a failed trial, actually. So an engineer started right before Christmas. We didn't want to do it because Christmas, New Year's, it's time off. People don't focus on work. And 12th of January, the client came back and said, hey, you know, I, I want a different guy. The engineer was like, hey, I'm, I don't like the project. I, it's just not a good fit. So everyone was, you know, okay with stopping. And yesterday... A different engineer started. I was speaking with, with, with the client, and I told him, Look, you know, previous engineer was really solid guy, like really good guy. He can he turns around and says, Look, he's fantastic. I've barely seen someone as senior as him. It just wasn't a good fit because he started on this team. Everyone was off during Christmas and New Year's. Um, he did things by himself, not necessarily bad things, but by himself, no onboarding, boarding, not explaining what you have to do. And then when, when his manager came back, he said, oh, I can't work with this kind of kind of an engineer. So it, it was just a mismatch. But that's not something to run away from. That's something that you learn from. And if there's any kind of agency out there, whether they're recruitment or development or staff augmentation, and they don't share with you these kinds of stories where it, it doesn't work out, it, that, genuinely something's wrong. It's impossible. Nobody has a 100% record. That is genuinely impossible. Unless you place one engineer a year, <laughs> maybe then it's 100%. When you start having multiple conversations, there's a lot of things that we take into account. We take into account the team that they'll be working on, the age, the lo- the geographical locations of everyone, their hobbies. We try to go in deep and we try to make sure that the person with whom we're bringing on board is someone's going to be a good fit, a good match. Um, Because you're no longer working by yourself. You're not a, a, a sole contributor. You work in a team, so you have to trust your teammates. They have to trust you and you have to do a good job together because all of you are basically being paid to deliver <laughs> at the end of the day.
1: Yeah, it must be it must be quite difficult for you guys to try and keep the balance between bringing in enough engineers and then finding them enough clients, right? It, it must be so tough.
0: It's always a swinging pendulum. You're never going to have enough clients. Or you're never going to have enough engineers available. It's always a swinging pendulum, always, Um, which is why we always encourage our engineers to, you know, hey, you've joined the network. You know, we're here, we support you. But if you get a job offering, take it, work, develop your skills, and as things progress, we can offer you a job as well, and you can switch if you don't like your previous engagement. So we never encourage engineers to lay all their eggs in one basket never and one of the challenges that people usually face with engineers is them working multiple jobs (laughs) especially remote like how it is really hard to to not have an engineer work multiple jobs what we usually do is if an engineer comes to us and says hey i need to supplement my income or i find this project boring and i want something that's a bit more challenging we speak with the client then we'll tell them look he's full-time engaged with 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 your project full-time means eight hours um we want to offer him another part-time four hour a day project is that okay with you so we go and we try to make sure everyone is aware of of how things work and then we try to keep it we try to offer them that part-time as well just that we can make sure hey it's actually a part-time you're not taking on five full-time jobs. And I say five because I've, I've I've known a case, five full-time jobs. And at the same time, he had time to go out for coffee as well. So it, I always understand when a client is extremely hesitant and he doesn't want to do it, he's scared of doing it. I know why, because he's been burned before so many times. He's had an engineer telling him, oh, this is going to take three months. And you were like, oh, three months is not so bad. But it was something that you should have taken three weeks He just said three months because he was too busy backlog with other clients, Uh, but you ended up paying for three months. So it's it's painful, but I kind of revert back and I say it's part of trusting him and trusting me as well to make sure that this doesn't happen to you.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. What would you say to anybody who is thinking about right now? I bet a lot of people watching this, listening to this, are in positions now that are trying to hire engineers. We all need engineers all the time, whether they are a sole founder, they're uh, trying to build a team, whether they are, um, you know, a team trying to augment, get, get, get to the next level. What would you say to them uh, if they're kind of in, in two minds or three minds in a way, thinking about which of these ways to go about? Is there like something like a scorecard or, you know, a and a that they could do and, and like um, a quiz that they could do to, to help them? decide which of these ways is better for them um do you have any kind of anything like if somebody comes to you at a dinner conversation and say well i'm building this thing i don't know which way to go about it. what would you say to them
0: um i'd probably say the uh, ask first of all are you you're trying to build something cool do you know what it is yes fantastic congratulations um are you technical no not too bad okay let's look at it this way you've got two options i can bring someone in that can Put together a roadmap of what your ideal product looks like. And if you agree to that, then we can build a team around that person. That will cost you money, okay? And you wouldn't necessarily have a guaranteed deliverable in place. You'd get people to work, but you wouldn't necessarily know for, a fact, it's going to be done by June 1st. Take the dev shop version. It doesn't have to be in India. It can be anywhere in the world because a dev shop would take your idea and they will come back and say it's going to take us 8 months it's going to cost you half a million dollars you take that and then you you weigh that in is it feasible for me to spend that kind of money with that timeline if yes go for it because you've got a guaranteed deliverable you know for a fact you don't pay unless you get unless you get the deliverables so you always pay but you get something in return as well that's what i would say if you if you're a team and you you need to develop more then i'd probably suggest augmented with with contractors you don't necessarily have to get full-time employees because you you will end up having to let them go uh last year has proven that with all the waves of layoffs Hire a couple of contractors if work is really ongoing and sustainable and you want to convert them, that's super easy to do. Just, you know, you flip the button and they're no longer contractors, they're, they're employees. Um, Don't go to the software development route because you're not going to be happy. If you already have a team developing, what that other team is going to be developing, most likely is not going to be in the same way that you currently have your team developing. So what I'm trying to say is when you have two people handwriting, it's the same message, but the handwriting looks different. You're not going to be able to put them one after the other and, and and make it seem like it's a book you know so when when there's two different teams working on the same project it might not necessarily work out as intended because when you're gluing the pieces together they might not fit. So that's why I would suggest augment it, get someone in, get them trained as to how you guys are building code and how you guys are writing code and then you'll have additional firepower.
1: Awesome, this is very helpful. Some of the things I want to dive deeper into is how can we better communicate with our engineers? How can we make sure that, you know, we, we are not in a position where we build something and we realize that that's not exactly what we wanted? Or or if if, if that is the case, to catch it early. Another thing is like the technology changes, like right? you build something and then something new comes up and, and re- renders it irrelevant. So, so there's so much to discuss. So we are going to do these regular sessions on the platform every five to six weeks. We're going to invite people and continue these discussions with a live audience and Q&A. So thank you so much for coming in today. And this was a really good conversation.
0: Thank you, Sami. So looking forward to the next ones.
1: I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Horia Altin and learned a thing or two about hiring senior software engineers. If this is something you're looking for at any point on your journey, you know where to go. PrimeHire.io is your best bet. Please be sure to subscribe to my channel on YouTube or wherever you get your audio podcasts so that you don't miss the future episodes. It will mean the world to me if you leave a review and share the podcast with others that you think might enjoy it.